wanted to share that video on Christmas Eve. Since we didn't get to be together, I thought it was too powerful not to show because we still celebrate that, right? Just because Christmas is over, we already put away our Christmas decorations. My wife is like, we're done. We're putting them away. Let's get back to, to you know, normal things around here. Let's put the house back together. But, but hopefully this Christmas season, uh, you'll never be the same again as a result of meeting with Jesus, as, as having Jesus come into your life and doing something new and exciting inside of you. I mean, I know for me, it's a little bit different because our kids are a little bit older. And so the, the response is a little bit different than this precious little girl right here. I'm sure Christmas was different for her than for the older ones. But for all of us, we can have that excitement inside of our heart, right? Well, hopefully you came with some expectation today. Um, you see that the table has been set for you. And we're going to share in the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. All right, and I want, I want to prepare you for this moment. For one, as you come um, to remember what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus just wasn't a baby in a manger. He grew up and was a Savior on a cross, right? And we're going to remember that today as we celebrate around the Lord's table. Also, today, uh, it'll be... A little bit different. One of the things you'll notice about me is I like to be different. I don't want to just do the same thing every single week. I like to mix it up a little bit. So I want to prepare you for the end of the service as we come forward to the table, which, by the way, you're welcome at the table. If you're here, we do an open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. You do. I want you to, to know Jesus, though. I want you to prepare your heart to know who Jesus is, to make him the Lord and Savior of your life, and come and receive. And what we'll do is we'll all come forward. We'll take uh, some bread, we'll take a, a cup, and we'll just stay up here together. We're, we're a small enough crowd this morning where we can do this again. Uh, I, I, I'm excited that we can still be up here all together and we'll, we'll share the Lord's Supper together. But also, when you come to receive, I want you to be prepared to, to give in a couple different ways, okay? For one, we have our, our normal opportunity to give an offering. There won't be any baskets at the door. You'll just, we'll have them right here. So you come and place your offering in the basket and then receive the elements, also, there is a family in our community, and we are going to be a church where we bless one another, okay? We're going to be a church where we take care of one another. I think that's why, one of the reasons why the church exists, to make sure that we, we take care of the needs of the people in our community. There's a family in our community that uh, they're, they're struggling right now, and they need some help, okay? And so we are going to be a blessing to them today. So here's what, here's what I want you to be prepared for Come and give your normal offering. That'd be great. Place it in the basket. But also, if you want to give a special gift, a love offering today to bless this family, then we are going to do that. But you need to make sure for us, for our accounting purposes, to mark that separate. Just put in the memo line of a check. If you're writing a check, just put love offering. If uh, you're giving cash, put it in an envelope and write love offering on it. Just make sure that it says that on there so we know it goes for this particular blessing and then the rest of the money will be for the normal operation of our church. Which, by the way, I want you to know, 10% of everything that is given to our church goes to bless other people in this community. Matter of fact, there was a family that we had the opportunity to bless. They have six children, and our church bought presents for their family because of your gifts that you give each and every um, Sunday morning. And uh, obviously, as the pastor, I benefit from you blessing us as well. And so I thank you. As a, as a pastor and as my family goes, we are grateful for your obedience to the Lord. Well, today we have a special, special treat for you. Today, um, all the way from Texas, you have, you need, brings a little Texas flair with him, doesn't he? Um, everyone, this is Arthur Embry. Arthur has a story to tell this morning, and I want you to just listen to the transformation that occurs when you meet Jesus, and Jesus does a work in your life. So get up for my friend, Arthur Embry. 
able to make it out today. My name is Arthur Embry. I currently live in a homeless shelter in Azle, Texas. You could classify me under a lot of different kinds of categories. Classify me under a bum, a recovering drug addict, or recovering alcoholic. I know one category that you could place me under that will always put a smile under my face is if you call me a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. I just love it when people call me that. Because, you know, the people I used to know, they're like, what happened to you, man? So anyway, so I'm, I'm just here to tell you the story. And I was able to meet Brother Brady and was able to come to Jesus Christ. So like I said, I was born in Maude, Texas. It's in Bowie County. I believe it's out by Texarkana. December 24th, 1992. It's um, a little house. I believe I was born in a house. A little one-bedroom house I was born in there. My parents divorced when I was eight months old, and we moved to Kansas City, Missouri to live with my grandma. Um, I don't really remember much of that, but I told that's what happened. Uh, my biological father, he wasn't around much, but not necessarily because he didn't want to, just because of the basis of the situation that we were all put into. So, you know, now I kind of understand how all that worked out and why he wasn't there as much as an eight-year-old would want him to be. But it's understandable now. So anyway, past that. Uh, when I was five years old, my mom remarried to a man named Danny Marks. And we moved out to Excelsior Springs, Missouri, where they bought a house and we were all just going to live happily ever after. Uh, sadly, that was not the case. But I was brought up, I guess, in a church environment, you could say. Like, uh, you know, we attended church and stuff, but we were one of those families, like, you know, now looking back, we were one of those families that would go to church on Sunday, and then we would go to church the following Sunday, if you know what I mean. It's just one of those one of those deals where it's just a Sunday, motion, going through the motions kind of thing. You know, I'm a Christian and I like going to church, but your heart's not in it. So I got saved and baptized. Well, I went through the motions of that when I was about eight or nine years old. But uh, my heart really wasn't in it. I just kind of did it because my parents said, well, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do this, so, just, so let's just go ahead and do this, just in case, you know, to make sure we do things the right way. When I was 12 years old, I, got, I encountered my first encounter with a head change. I tried to dip a Copenhagen long cut. You know, a lot of people think, oh, that's not a big deal. But with the kind of personality that I have, that's a really big deal because it opened the door to addiction. Um, you know, I put that dip in my mouth and it was just so gross, but it felt so good. I enjoyed that rush that it gave me, that nicotine rush. So at that point, I was to the point where I was just like, you know, I kind of like this head change stuff. So I'm going to kind of pursue maybe other routes to get to that point. Shortly after I tried that, I started drinking. I wasn't one of those that would, you know, drinking, you know, at first. I didn't, not a lot of people knew. It was just kind of me and my older brother in our bedroom, and he'd come home with a six-pack of Smirnoff, you know, it's 12, woo, that's so cool. 
And that's another thing. I'll be going through the story, and I may laugh on it, and to you it's not funny, but to me, looking back on it, I can kind of laugh on it. So I don't want you to think that I think it's funny. It's just something that I kind of can look back and laugh about. Because I can look back on this past life that I lived, and I'm not disgusted with it anymore. I'm not to the point where I'm like, I don't ever want to talk about that again. I'm so joyful that Jesus Christ broke those chains that I could tell everybody about it. I think I was about 13 years old. My mom, she had an affair. So her and my stepdad, needless to say, did not work out. We uh, packed our bags moved to Azle, Texas um, with Danny Peebles. You know, even as wrong as the situation was, he was a very influential, influential man in my life. He uh, taught me a lot of things and just helped me get through things that I needed help getting through. He passed away this last summer, but we were all content about it. So we, we moved to Texas, and I, Danny Peebles' son, he bought me a, a little mandolin. And I was like, cool, this has got strings on it. I'm going to strum them. And I liked it, so I started learning, started learning. Shortly after that, uh, Danny, he bought me a, a little acoustic guitar from the flea market, and it was pretty much off to the races at that point. I wanted to be somebody that could fit in with the people at school, I was so tired of just sitting in the, in the corner of the classroom by myself and not having anybody to talk to because I didn't have anybody at home either. I mean, technically, yeah, I had brothers and sisters and my mom and, and Danny. But nobody that I thought would really understand what I got to say. I was going through some things as a young child that young children aren't supposed to go through. And I didn't really have anybody to talk to so I thought well if I just chase these temporary fixes and you know be the cool guy at school and just have all these friends that maybe it'll just go away anyway so I started learning how to play guitar picked up pretty fast I fit in real well in Texas I don't know what it was I was the same same quiet guy but people were just I guess more open to telling me who they were and they want to be my friends. So I thought that was just so cool to have somebody. Because I didn't have that before, you know, somebody would just walk up to me like, hey, you know, my name's so-and-so. You know, what's your name? You know, what are you into? What kind of things do you like? Stuff like that. Needless to say, it didn't take long. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. The wrong crowd. You know, with a personality like I had, I was a try kind of guy. I'll try just about anything, and I'll hang out with just about anybody. Because I didn't like sitting in my room by myself. I didn't like sitting there thinking about all these problems, all these events that I had gone through. So I started turning to harder drugs. I was 15 years old. I used heroin for the first time. Um, I used to hang out with my friend Gabriel, his dad. I started going downtown and playing on the street corners to make a little money. Pay for my phone bill and put money in my pocket that I don't need. 
So I guess with the habits that I had, money wasn't exactly a good thing to have. I was going downtown and playing on the street corner, and I knew that Gabriel's dad was a user, but I wasn't really sure what he used. At this point, I was smoking marijuana a lot. I drank a lot. Every weekend I was drinking, sometimes during the week. But I was smoking marijuana pretty much every single day, just trying to. At that point, I didn't know I was running from anything. I just felt like it felt good. I don't like it how it feels when it's just me sitting around. So maybe if I hit this pipe and drink this beer, I'll feel a little better. So I, uh, one night after walking back into Gabe's house, you know, we had just finished from coming downtown. It was like 2.30 in the morning. I remember on the way home, we stopped at this place, and it just took forever. We were just sitting there for about like an hour and a half, hour and a half. He, he, said, he said he had to go in and use the restroom. And we're just sitting in the car like, what is taking this guy so ridiculously long? There's no reason it's taking this guy an hour, hour and a half to use the restroom. So he comes out. You can tell he's not normal. He's having a trouble staying awake. We drive back to his house, and he goes into his bedroom. I thought, you know what? He's probably using drugs, and I want some because they probably feel good. So I'm going to go see what he's doing. I walked in his room, and, and I saw him bent over the bed. He had a one of those medical deals around his arm. He was bent over. He had a needle sticking in his arm. And he just looked up at me. And I looked at him. And I said, you mind if I try some of that? And he gave me this crazy look like, what? You want to try this? You know, I'd like to sit here and tell you that he tried to talk me out of it, but he didn't. He didn't keep that irresponsible habit to himself. So I was sitting there on the bed, took some of the black tar out of the little container that he had it in, put it in a spoon and melt it down, and he shot me up, and it was the best feeling I'd ever felt in my life. I loved it more than anything, more than family, more than friends, more than music. At this point, God wasn't really in my life, so I could say I loved him more than God, but I didn't really know God at that point. It was definitely an idol. I cared about that more than anything else. And it was one time, and that's all it took. So I started doing a lot of heroin. On the weekends, I'd go out, play on the street corners, come home, get my fix. Started getting involved in very inappropriate relationships, one after the other. Because it got to the point where drugs wasn't filling that void that was in my heart. I didn't know what that void was. We could all agree that it's because I didn't have Jesus in my life. But at that point, I didn't really know what it was. So I was trying to fill it all the time. So drugs, alcohol, inappropriate relationships. And it got to the point where I was having to do all three all at the same time just so I could just forget about all this stuff that's gone on in my life. Because I just couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't. I'd, I'd, I'd get high and I'd get drunk and I'd go to sleep and I'd dream about it. I, could, I just couldn't. I couldn't get away 
from what I was running from. And I never, I cried out one time for help, kind of. Kind of, I cried out for help. Um, I, was, I missed school one day, and I was in with my mom's room. And she had said I didn't look well. So, you know, I started talking to her, and I showed her the needle mark. And she just started bawling. She didn't know what to do. And I saw how much it hurt her. I said, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore, Mom, I promise. We don't have to go through this huge process of, you know, spending all this money to get me well. I'm just going to stop, and you can trust me. I'm going to stop. And I lied. I didn't. I continued my heroin habit for six years after that. I dropped out of school after I got signed on to Reciprocity Records as a country singer, making good money, having a good time. Got addicted to the party life, center of attention all the time, fast money. And you're talking about trying to make money. I could go get a normal job at 10 bucks an hour and make $700 a week, or I can go play for two and a half hours and make 1100 bucks. Why do I need a job? I don't need to do that. Just hang out with my friends, hang out with these druggies and get drugs and be the center of attention all the time and just have a grand time just hanging out having a blast so I was starting to get wrapped up into this music business lifestyle started getting involved in church not because I wanted to be with God or anything like that I just enjoyed the company I liked people talking to me for no reason. I enjoyed that. And I kind of got that there. And I just, you know, people, you know Jesus? Of course, yeah, I know Jesus. I wouldn't be here if I didn't, you know. Of course I know Jesus. You don't have to worry about me. I'm good. These bags, they're just, I don't sleep all that much. I work at night. That's what those are from, so you don't have to worry about it. Lying, 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 because I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I was ashamed, and I didn't want anybody to know. My family didn't know what was going on because I was ashamed of it. I didn't want them to know. On February 3rd, 2013, I got arrested for possession of a controlled substance under a gram. I spent 30 days in county jail. They kicked me out and gave me two years probation. Didn't learn a thing. You know, while I was in there, I thought, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to stop doing drugs. I'm going I'm to restore my relationships with my family. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get me a job. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Us as individuals, we can't do anything. We all know that. We need Jesus. We need God. But never at that point did I think that maybe I should try this Jesus thing out. Maybe I should just try God. But no, I didn't think about that. I lasted about, oh, I think it was March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. November. lasted eight months. I got arrested again for tampering and fabricating physical evidence. They uh, were watching the drug deal that I approached. And when I noticed that they were following me, I swallowed the drugs so they wouldn't find it. So, that's a long story, too. We'll move on. So while I was in the county jail, I requested a Bible. Not because I wanted to read it, but because the only thing that you could take to prison with you is a Bible and some pictures. So I needed something to put my addresses down in, my phone numbers, you know, people to get in contact with in case I need some money. Somebody put some money on my books 
so I can go buy some soups. It's crazy how different your world becomes when you're confined into a, a single area. I was sentenced to two years into the Texas Department of Criminal Justice System. I was at the Middleton Unit in Abilene, Texas, and a friend of mine was like, man, you need to come to church. You need to just, just come. You know, Even if you're not going to learn about God, to get you out of the dorm, it's hot in here. They don't have air conditioning, by the way. It was really hot. It's like a metal barn with a room in it, and that's where you live. But uh, so I went to church. The preacher was preaching, and he was on fire. I didn't know what he was saying, but I liked it. I had no idea what the guy was talking about. I just had chills. I just felt something in here. And then he did an altar call and asked if anybody wanted to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I jumped up. I said, me! And I ran up there. I said, I don't know why I'm up here, but I'm doing it because I can't live my life the way I'm living because if, if I was doing it right, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been doing drugs. I wouldn't have been partying. I wouldn't be in prison. And I wouldn't have broken relationships. So I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and, the, and not the following Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, I got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that was an experience. Woo! Feeling stuff that you can't see will freak you out for the first time. Y'all know that. I came up out of that water. I just felt this burden of everything that was on my shoulders was gone. All of it was, none of it was there. I was like, wow, I feel awesome. I love this. So I started, I went back to the dorm. And I just started reading that Bible. Started with Matthew. I read all the way through Revelation. Didn't understand any of it, so I did it again. They sent me to the Rudd unit on March 3rd, 2014. And at that, at that place was the first time when God boldly and obviously answered a prayer, letting me know it was him answering it that there is no possible way that this could have been a coincidence. No possible way. I was sitting at the chaplaincy, and we were having church, and the preacher was preaching. He was talking about how we needed to be firmly founded in Jesus Christ, and when we get out of here, we can repair our relationships, and we got family members or friends that, that don't know Jesus, that we could tell them the story, that we could bring them to them. We could allow God to use us to wheel them in so God could use them too. And I was sitting there thinking, like, yes. And I started praying. I'm like, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm good. I think you can just open the doors, and I'll be walking out, and everything's going to be all right. We don't have to worry about this ever happened. And I was praying. I said, well, God, if, I, if you're ready for me to go home, let it be known. But if you're not, let it be known. I think about 45 minutes went by. The preacher was on something totally different, totally different subject. And then I thought about that prayer again that I had just prayed. And the preacher came back on that subject for one sentence. He looked over where I was sitting, not directly at me, but let's say you're sitting over there and I'm looking over there. And he said, there's somebody, there's somebody here that isn't ready to go home yet. So that just, that was a, that couldn't have been coincidence. There's no way he could have known that I was praying that prayer, sitting in that seat, and thought about it right before he said it. And even though God said, I'm not going home, Yet, I was so overwhelmed with joy. Just know that he just spoke to me. He loves me. 
He really does. It's, it's not just some stuff that some people wrote down 2,000 years ago that don't mean anything anymore. It's all still real. And this Jesus thing works. So I was sitting in that, sitting in that chair, and I was just like, yes! I ain't going home. I'm so excited about it. Keep the doors shut. As long as you tell me first, I guess. I was just so excited that he had spoke to me. I've been writing my grandma, and that's when I, I, my grandma had, when she was going to the Vineyard Church, and she had put in a prayer request for me. And this is the story of how I met Pastor Brady through a divine appointment. She had put in a prayer request to ask, just ask him to pray for me. Ask, pray for a grandson who's in prison. He's struggling. He needs some help. Just pray for him. We'd appreciate that. He got my prayer card. He was praying over it. And then he just got this urge to get a hold of my grandma because he just wanted to write me to make sure, to let me know that there's people praying for me, there's people that love me, and it's going to be all right. We're thinking about you. I got his letter, I believe it was in April. He wrote me in March, but mail there takes so ridiculously long. It's get a letter, and then two weeks later, you'll actually get it. But, um, and we clicked like that. We started chatting back and forth. He mentoring me through these letters. And I, and I was praying one night, and I asked God, well, what do you want me to do with my life? Now that I've given it to you, now that I've laid it before your feet, you can do whatever you want with it. But what is it that you want me to do? Surely you have some instructions for me. One night I was reading, I believe it's in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I knew my grandma wasn't doing very well, and I read, I read this not long after I found out she was having seizures and not doing well. Paul says to Timothy, Take care of any widow who has no one else to take care of her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay her by taking care of her. This is something that pleases God. Then moving on into verse 8, he goes on to say, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than non-believers. So what Paul is saying there is that it's better for you to not believe in God and take care of your relatives than to believe in God and not take care of them. I do not want to be under that category. No, thank you. So I think it was like a week later, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to ask my grandma, you know. And my older brother, he's moving out soon. I'm going to ask her, can I just move up here and take care of you? But the le- next letter she wrote me, I didn't get the chance to say anything to her. She was asking me to come stay. She said, what do you think about coming up here and staying? Couldn't have been a coincidence. The next letter I got from Pastor Brady, he was asking me, well, what do you think about coming up here and, and being a part of the worship team and singing with us? And I knew I was supposed to be involved in church, and I knew I was supposed to take care of my grandma. And then, so I, then I saw parole, and I had 12 addresses, possible places that I could go. They're all good addresses. They all got denied, every single one. Boom, 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 boom. I don't really know why. Well, I do know why, because God needed to be at the place that I am today. He needed to be to just learn to just give that up, that that, I don't need that life anymore. I don't need these people in my life. They're family, yes, and I love them, but what benefit are they bringing? 
So all these doors have been shut down there, and they're open here. I'm praying that I'll be up here in March. I don't get off parole until November. But I'm believing God's opening doors, and I'm going to be here in March so I can just join worshiping with you guys. So I guess the whole point of me coming up here and just giving you my story is to tell you that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what life seems to throw at you. It doesn't matter. Because God could use any situation, no matter what it is. Look at Paul's life. He was killing Christians. God still used him. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can still take that situation and turn it around for good. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. And you combine that with first chapter 17 of the book of James. It says, don't be deceived that every good and perfect gift is from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. So if you combine those two scriptures, every good thing that ever happens in your life is from God, and every bad thing that ever happens is going to turn out good. You just don't see it yet. So you ain't got to worry about anything. God's got a plan. He will never take you by the hand and say, come with me, servant. I'm going to show you how to live. Okay, I'll see you later. He don't do that. He'll never let go. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You can look at that scripturally. You see in the book of Daniel when the three men were thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, you know what? I'm not going to bow down to this statue. I'm not going to do it. You can burn me up. I ain't going to do it. Because I know my God's going to save me. And if he doesn't, I'm still not going to do it. I'm still going to praise the only God. So they threw him into the furnace. And the king was like, we threw three people in there. There's four I see. And the fourth one looks like a, a son of God, an angel. So it doesn't matter what you're going through, y'all. God will be there for you. He's going to help you get through it. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter if the light bill ain't paid. It doesn't matter if the water's shut off. Because let me tell you, if you ain't got no money in the bank account and God wants your water turned on, it's going to get turned on somehow, some way. But if God doesn't want your water on and you got $5 million in the bank, the bill ain't going to get paid somehow, some way. God's in control. Give your life to him and let him just take control. That's what I got. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. So we finish up our time together as we finish up 2014. You know, it's the end of the year, and I was thinking about, like, this idea of finishing well. Like, we want to finish the year well. And I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. Jesus is getting really close to the time where he's going to go to the cross, and he's got some last moments with his followers. And you think, when Jesus knew his time on earth was getting close to becoming in towards the end, like, what would he say? What conversation would he have with his closest friends? Like, what would he tell them? And so in Matthew chapter 25, I want you to, to, um, to look at this, if you will. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus sharing the last few words with his followers. He's getting ready to share with them the Passover meal. He's getting ready to have one last meal with his friends. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so significant that we celebrate this meal today. 
And he basically gives the church, he gives them a, a guide for what the church should be about. And I think this is the, the, the guide that he gives us, and he gives me as the leader of this church. This is what he's asking us to do. And this is one of the reasons why I wrote Arthur in prison. Because I feel like that's what Jesus wanted me to do. Now, do I write every single prisoner in prison? No. But this is the prisoner God put in front of me that day. And I took it a step further after I got this prayer card. Which, by the way, at Vineyard, we get, they get tons of prayer cards. A stack of them. Hundreds. And then they divide them out on Tuesday to all the different pastors. There was probably ten pastors in the room. And my stack just happened to have Arthur's card in it. Now, coincidence? I don't think so. And then, but here's the deal though. Once I saw the card, I still had a choice to make. I could say, oh, that's awesome. I prayed for Arthur. I wrote Nancy a nice little note and put it in the mail. Or I could have took it a step further and say, I'll, I'll at least write him and make sure that he knows that we're praying for him. Re- just visit, even though I couldn't visit him physically, I visited him via a letter. Because this is in scripture. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. Now last week, if you were here, I talked about we were a door for God's love to walk into the earth through, right? That we are his doorway, God's love through us. And God is the one who's going to use us to take care of other people and to bless other people. And this is what Jesus says. This is interesting. In uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, this is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes... In his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will come to say to those on his right, to the sheep, he'll say, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And this is what he says to them. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And it goes on to say, when you did not do this, these things, for my brothers. You did not do them for me. And Jesus says, the people who did not do those things, who did not bless and love others and pour out their, the blessings that they have received to bless other people, he said, there's a place for those people. Now this is not saying that, it, that we live by our works, by what it is that we do. Like we don't get salvation because of what we do, but as a result of our salvation, This is what we're supposed to do. Does that make sense? 
I want you to make sure that you understand that it's not that, hey, I've got to feed the hungry, give drinks to the thirsty, put clothes on people who need clothes, and that way God will let me into heaven. That's how I become righteous. No, you become righteous because of your faith in Jesus. We are the righteousness of God because of our faith in Jesus. And once we receive the greatest gift of all, life in Christ, as a result of that, then Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. That is our marching orders as a church. That is your marching orders as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then God just says, I want you to look around you. I want you to see the people that are hungry. And if you have the opportunity, I want you to feed them. I want you to look around you. And if you see people who need clothing, I want you to clothe them. I want you to be me to them. Does that make sense? I want you to be Jesus on the earth. And Jesus says, this must be important for Jesus to share these words with his followers right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. I think he means it. And so as a pastor, I thought it was necessary for me to, to write this prisoner. And I could not go to see him, but I could see him, I could visit him with a letter. And as a result of that, he, he, he builds this relationship. And so if you ever have the opportunity, if you know somebody that's in prison, you have the opportunity to go visit them, or if you have the opportunity to write them, if God puts that in front of you, I encourage you to do it. And that's just the thing that I want you to be encouraged by. And I don't want you to be discouraged this morning to say, well, I feel like I'm such a failure because I'm not doing any of those things. I don't want you to feel that way. Instead, I want you to be encouraged this morning so that when you walk out of here, maybe your eyes are open to say, I'm going to look around me. Is there anybody that I know that is hungry today? And can I bless them? Can I feed them? And I promise you, if you pray that prayer and you ask God to open your eyes and reveal it to you, he'll do it. And then he'll also give you the resources to bless those people. It's not like you don't, you don't have to like, like go borrow money to make it happen. God will provide the funds for you to do it. He might ask you to sacrifice something in your own life, though. He might say, you know what, maybe Brady, you don't, really need, you don't really need two of those. Instead, why don't you give one of those away? Does that make sense? And so I just think Jesus calls us to live that kind of life. Well, one of the opportunities that we're going to get this morning is we come to celebrate this meal because it's fascinating to me that right after Jesus had this conversation, um, he then has a moment with a, uh, with a woman who comes and she, she anoints him with oil. She anoints him for his burial, like it's a very powerful prophetic thing. And then right after that, in, verse, in uh, Matthew 26, they celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And they ate this meal together. So I think it's really neat that we get to do that at the end of the year to celebrate this meal. So I want you to prepare. I want you to just um, do me a favor. I want you to bow your head for just a minute. And I want you to prepare yourself to come to the table. Now is a perfect time maybe to ask the Lord to, to examine your heart. And say, God, is there anything inside of me that I need to deal with today? Are there... Are there some things about Arthur's story that are kind of familiar to mine? Some things that I've kind of put, put other things in front of you, Lord. Maybe now's a good time. Maybe, not maybe, I think now is a good time. To just say, God, just would you please forgive me for that? Would you forgive me for trusting in these things or these people more than I trust in you? Or maybe you're here this morning where you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe now's the time you say, God, I, I just pray that you would forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all the unrighteous things in my life. And will, will you save me? 
so that I'm welcome at your table. Maybe um, now's a time where you say, you know, God, I, I've seen people who were hungry or thirsty or, at, or need clothing or maybe I needed to go visit and I just haven't done it because I, I just either I, I'm uncomfortable with that or I don't know what to say or God, would you just use me though to, to live, live this out? God, Jesus, if you talked about it, it must be so important and I want to live that way. And as you get ready to, uh, to come, the band's going to come, and they're going to sing. They're going to sing a song. And so here's how it's going to work. Remember, we, this is the opportunity to give an offering. If you want to participate in blessing this, this family that I was talking about that needs you today, uh, then make sure you mark your gift as a love offering. And here's the thing. They don't know we're doing this, Okay. It's not like they asked this to happen either. And I just think as a church, we get to be a blessing. We get to actually be a part of making sure that we are meeting the needs of others. And you can be reassured that if you let us know that you have a need, we'll bless you too. <laughs> you know, we, we just get to participate in that. So as, you, as the song gets ready to start, I want you to, to come to give your offering. And then take a piece of bread, take a cup and then just spread out just kind of once you grab one just kind of spread out to the back and once we're all gathered I will uh, I'll lead you through it remember Jesus was having this conversation he was telling them that uh, they're going to share the, the Passover meal one more time and to know that the Passover meal was a celebration a remembrance of when God set the people free from Egypt they were in captivity right they were in prison <laughs> And then he shows up in a powerful way. And he sets them free. He sets them free by one last plague that came over the people. And the people of Israel were told to take the blood of the lamb and put it above their doorpost in their home. And then if you have the blood on your doorpost that the, 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 the death angel would pass over your home. That's significant because as Christians, in the new covenant that we celebrate today, we celebrate it by the, the shedding of Jesus' blood, who is the Lamb of God. So think about this. If you take the blood of Jesus and you place it over your life and it covers your sin, your doorpost, if you will, then death passes over you. Because the Bible says even if you die, which we all will, you'll actually be alive. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the power of that. So when we celebrate this Passover meal, Jesus takes the elements of it and transforms it completely. Because it says in Scripture, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, because this is my body given for you. So take and eat. And then he says he took the cup. He said they took the cup of redemption. He gave thanks and he offered it to them. And he said this, drink from it, all of you. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as we do this, we remember what Jesus did for us. So take and drink.
So, Lord, we come to you as a church, as a body of believers, to thank you for this gift of your body, the gift of your blood. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We thank you that by the shedding of your blood, Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be set free from the prison of sin. We thank you for Arthur's story. We thank you for the redemption of of his life. And we thank you that you do not give up on any of us, God. That you, once you start a work in us, you're so faithful to complete it. I thank you that you are working and moving in the lives of the people that are here today. Maybe it's the beginning of their story with you. Maybe they've been on this journey for a long time. But God, I pray that they would experience your love in a new, fresh way. As we finish up 2014, as we look forward to feeding the hungry, and clothing the naked, and visiting the prisoner, and visiting the sick, as we look forward to just being obedient to what you call us to do as a church and as, as followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, I, can I just say, I just really, I just look forward to this day. I just look forward to being together. And, and you know, and when you can't be here, you know, it's like, I miss you when you're gone, you know? And, uh, and I just want you to know that the body, we need each other, you know? And you're like, I'm like the big toe. And if the big toe is missing, the body needs the big toe, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you to make 2015 and this year we say, you know what? I'm going to be committed to this, to serving and to giving and to blessing and, and you, letting God use me in, in whatever way he wants to use you. Because I promise you, when you offer yourself to the Lord, the Bible actually says, then you'll know what his pleasing and perfect will is for your life. It's an if and then. If you give yourself to him, then you'll know. And once you know, life just takes on a whole new purpose and meaning. And so bless you as you go. Uh, go Chiefs. Go Chase Daniels. One, one last opportunity <laughs> to try to make something happen. And, uh, and we'll see you next year, right? Amen. Yeah, I guess we are collecting cups. We have trash. And once again, if you have a love offering or an offering you haven't put in, go ahead and do that real quick. And we'll see you in, in 2015.